Psalm 37, let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Verses 1 through 6 we'll be reading. By the way, Brother Greer will be preaching the Wednesday evening service. And uh, many of you enjoy when he preaches, so I thought I'd make you aware of that. We'll be reading these verses responsively. Beginning in, I'll begin in verse 1. We'll re- begin together in verse 2 and then read in that pattern down through verse number 6. The Bible says in verse 1, Fret not thyself because of evil doers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. Together, verse 2, For they shall soon be cut down like the grass, and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. And he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light, and thy judgment as the noonday. Look back at the beginning of verse number 5 with me. The Bible says there, commit thy way unto the Lord. Commit, commitment. We're going to look at this idea of commitment. We're going to look at our third series for our theme this year, Stand for Jesus. The name of this series we'll be looking at over the next month of sermons, the next four weeks of preaching, is Stand With Commitments. Commitment. And the title of the sermon this morning is this, A Heart That Is Principled. A Heart That Is Principled. Living Our Life by Principles That Will Help Us to Stay Committed. Let's pray. Lord, help us as we turn our attention back to our theme this year, Stand for Jesus. Lord, many folks stand for a while. Uh, Lord, many folks stand for a time, but... Many fail to stand for a lifetime. And help us to be committed, Lord. Help us not to take breaks. And Lord, help us not to be sidelined. But Lord, help us to be committed to the calling in our life, to being a Christian that bears our cross. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Our theme in 2021 is all over the screen during uh, the um, uh, beginning of the service. It's in the lobby on the banner. It's, uh, let's say it together. Our theme this year is what? Stand for Jesus. Let's recap what we've covered so far. It's been a while since we've looked at this series. And so let's just give a re- quick recap with a little comment. Back in January, we began uh, our first series of sermons entitled Stand with Conviction. And in that series, we looked at these four sermons, our principles, our passion, our prudence, and our persecution. We finish the series by looking at these four attributes in the person of Queen Esther. How many of you remember the sermon on Queen Esther? I believe it was a snowy day out that day and our attendance was low. But we looked at the life of Queen Esther in the book of Esther and we talked about how that she was a woman of great principle. She was passionate about being a Jew. Uh, she was prudent in her approach uh, of the king and willing to face persecution if necessary for her to do what was right. And we talked about how that you will not take a stand unless you have a core of convictions that, uh, that, that, uh, that make up who you are. And then we moved on and looked at our second series of sermons on the heels of that, Stand with Courage. And we looked at four sermons in our series, Stand with Courage. We talked about the Christian's fear. And we talked about who, whom do you fear or what do you fear. We talked about our focus. And we said that we fear with those things on which we focus. Where our focus lies, our fear lies. We talked about our fortress and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we talked about the Christian's future, how our future is wrapped up in the Lord Jesus Christ and in our eternity in heaven. We finished that series by looking at the life of King David. How many, how many of you remember this series, a sermon on King David? We, uh, the rest of you were sleeping, amen, just like you are right now, amen. Uh, we talked about King David, and we talked about how that when he faced Goliath, those four areas, fear, focus, fortress, and future, he had them in the right order. And then when he looked at Bathsheba, the other person that made up his life, boy, he got everything out of order, and his whole life fell apart, and he made mistakes that damaged his family and damaged the future of his family. And we talked about how that we need to take a stand like the David that faced Goliath, not be like the David that faced Bathsheba. Stand with 
courage. And so we're talking about taking a stand this year. Ephesians 6 tells us that uh, we fight an enemy that we cannot see. It is an enemy that is spiritual in nature. We turn our attention to our third series this year, Stand With Commitment. Stand With Commitment. Now, we live in a non-committal culture. Non-committal culture. As our culture has become less committed, contracts have gone from handshakes to 30-page documents that get signed and initialed like a hundred times, right? How many of you ever went to buy, buy something on loan and you felt like you, were signed, you had to sign your whole life away, right? Um, that's how that goes, right? used to be you just had a handshake and that was it. Well, why? Because back then people were committed. They were committed. Now people aren't committed. Uh, people want out as easy as they can. We're a loophole culture. We're constantly looking for loopholes. Now Christians should excel in two ways that the lost may not. All right. The first area is we should make commitments. We should make commitments. It's amazing to me. I'm out inviting people to church. Let me tell you. Let me show you how this goes. I say, uh, "Hey, man, uh, I'd love for you to visit my church." Yeah, I'd like. I'm looking for a church. The person says, "Anyway, it'd be great, man. We'd love to have you in our church." Uh, I I tell you what. Why don't you come this Sunday? Would you come this Sunday? And they give me the positive, non-committal answer. Well, I'll see if I can come. Uh, I'll see if I can be there. And I appreciate them not saying I'll be there and then not showing up. But you know what they can't do? They can't make a commitment. Right? Well, man, I really love her, but, um, well, then go ahead and marry her. Well, you know, I, I don't know if I want to be, you know, strapped down. And uh, I don't know if I want her to go from being my lover to being a ball and chain. No, that, that's not how we say it. But isn't that how we are as a culture? We're afraid of commitment. We're afraid of commitment. Christians should make commitments. If you're a Christian here, you should know your schedule well enough that you can look at something and say, you know what, I have the time and the energy and the resources, and that's important, and count me in. I'm making a commitment. If you made a commitment to be at the Memorial Day picnic tomorrow, unless you have a greater commitment in your life come up that interrupts that, be there. Amen? Make a commitment. We should make commitments. The second area Christians should excel in, where maybe the lost don't, is we should keep our commitments. If you make a commitment, keep your commitment. We have some businessmen in the church and uh, they know all about 30-page contracts. In fact, when I said the term 30-page contracts, every businessman in the church went, yep, I know what those are because I have to write them up. I know all about loopholes because I've had to cover up those loopholes, all right? And um, how many of you here have ever had someone sign an agreement to make a payment and then they didn't make the payment? I mean, you know what that's like. You know what? That stinks. You do the work. And they look for that loophole so they don't have to pay you. That's hard. Christian, if you make a commitment, keep your commitments. Specifically, Christians should make a commitment to live for Christ by standing for Christ. Next month, Angel and I will celebrate 14 years of marriage. It's been a great ride. I look forward to spending the rest of my life with her. But not every season of our marriage has been easy. Sometimes I'm hard to live with. Amen? Not every season of our marriage has been easy. What has kept us together? Commitment. Miss Joan Syrett and her, her husband were married 66 years. Is that correct? Before he passed away. You know what that is? That's a lot of commitment. I've been a parent, I've been a father for 12 years. Early on, there were many sleepless nights. Many moments of misery in parenting along the way. Mostly it's been a pleasant experience. Mostly. Why am I still an active parent in the life of my children? Commitment. Um, I've been the pastor of White Oak Baptist Church for four years and 11 months. Most of it has been a positive experience. I did say most of it. There have been some difficult situations that I've had to handle along the way. Situations that I didn't know coming into this that I would have to handle. 
There have been days, I'm just being transparent now, there have been days where quitting has felt like a really good option. Why am I still the pastor of White Oak Baptist Church? Why do I plan on staying here for a long, 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 long time? Commitment. Commitment. Now, those of you in here that have family relationships, you know what commitment is. Those of you that have a job and you've had times where you've been tempted to quit, you know what commitment is. Amen? No one works a job for 20 or 30 years and doesn't think about quitting somewhere along the way. Right? Above being a a husband, father, employer, pastor, God's calling on my life above all of that is to be a good Christian. God has saved me and adopted me into his family. I and all of you this morning who are saved have been called to live for Christ, have been called to stand for Jesus. How committed are you to Christ? How committed are you to his cause? How committed are you to his church? How committed are you to a Christ-like lifestyle? How committed are you to denying your flesh? How committed are you to loving God and trusting God when life kicks you in the mouth? You see, you will not stand for Jesus unless you are committed to him when times are easy and when times are tough. Commitment is not simply a choice we make one time and then live out the rest of our lives. Commitment is made day by day and oftentimes moment by moment. The last three Sunday mornings I gave you principles to help you guide your relationships. We looked at marriage. We looked at principles in parenting. We looked at principles in friendships. Let me fill you in on a little secret. All right? Here's a little secret. You cannot, or rather, you can live a committed Christian life. You cannot live a committed Christian life unless you have some overarching principles to help guide your life through challenging moments. Let me give you an example of what I mean by overarching principles. Last week we talked about principles for friendship. We talked about the principle of character. Remember this? And we said, you have an acquaintance who wants to be your friend. The principle of character causes me to evaluate the person and decide if they are someone who is going to lead me in a good and godly direction in my life. If they are, then I will choose to be their friend. If they're not, then I will choose to be friendly, but I will choose to keep them at arm's length and not give them influence in my life. Amen? So what is the principle of character? I may really like you. Our personalities might gel and mesh. I might really enjoy time with you, but if you're going to lead me in a bad direction, then I will keep you at arm's length. I will not bring you in close and make you part of a board of advisors in my life. I will limit your influence in my life. That is a principle. And So I've given you principles on parenting, principles on marriage, principles on friendships, and what I want to do this morning with this sermon a heart that is principled, I want to give you some principles that will help you stay committed. Committed. Principles that you need to anchor down to your heart. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23 says, Keep or guard or put a wall around or protect. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. As a young man, I worked on a farm that uh, had fruit and vegetables, a fruit and vegetable farm. I feel funny saying I worked on a fruit farm. I think everyone looks at me funny (laughs) when I say that. But I worked on a farm that had fruits and vegetables. Amen. And on that farm, uh, you know what they had us doing a lot of out in that Alabama heat? They had us pulling weeds. How many of you here have some sort of garden at your house? How many of you hate pulling weeds? How many realize that if you don't pull weeds, you're not going to have a garden? Right? Not a garden worth having. If you're going to keep your heart with all diligence, you're going to have to do some gardening in your heart. You're going to have to pull the weeds. You're going to have to keep things out. These overarching principles will help you stay committed. Now, um, up until this message, when I would hear the word commitment, I would think of the word faithfulness. And we're going to look at that word later on in the sermon. But can I tell you, there is so much more to being committed than just being faithful. I'm going to give you five principles this morning that we need to install 
in our hearts, anchored to our hearts, that will help us to be Christians who are committed to our Christ. To be clear, these are principles of commitment. So let's look at, number one, a heart principled to trust God. A heart principled to trust God. There's an old story of a father who took his young son out and stood him on the railing of the back porch. He then went down, stood on the lawn, and encouraged the little fellow to jump into his arms. I'll catch you, the father said confidently. After a little coaxing, the little boy finally made the leap. What, when he did, the father stepped back and let the boy fall to the ground. That's terrible. He then picked his son up, dusted him off, dried his tears, put his broken arm in a splint. No, I'm just kidding. Um, dried his tears. And he said to the little boy, he said, let that be a lesson. Don't ever trust anyone. That's terrible, isn't it? That's teaching your three-year-old to be skeptical early on. You know, um, trusting flawed humans can be like navigating a landmine. You never know when someone who you love is going to fall or fail. They're going to fail you and let you down. You know, when you have a, a trusted friend let you down, a confidant let you down, it, it can be devastating. These failures can cause us to put up a wall. These failures can cause us to become non-committal toward people. How do you overcome this? By learning to trust God first and foremost. Why? Because the Lord will never let you down. Look at Psalm 37, verse 3. Psalm 37, verse 3. Look here. Trust in the Lord and do good. You've had someone let you down? Put your eyes on the Lord, who will never let you down. And if your trust is in the Lord, then you can do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Look at verse 5. Psalm 37, 5. Commit thy ways unto the Lord. Look here. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 are two of the most famous verses in the Old Testament, in the book of Proverbs. It says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. You cannot and will not stay committed to a relationship long term if you do not trust that person. If trust has been broken in a relationship, then it must be restored if that relationship is going to function long term. To, watch this now. To the degree that trust is restored, to that same degree that relationship functions and works. Now watch this. If you're going to be committed to God, you're going to have to learn to trust God. Many people don't trust God. They don't trust God. Many people feel that God has let them down, disappointed them, hurt them. Why did he take my child from me? Why did he take my marriage from me? Why did he take a parent from me? Why did he allow my child to be born with this debilitating disease? See, a lot of people pin evil on God when it should be pinned on the devil. If you don't trust God, and I mean fully trust Him, then you're not going to be committed to Him. Some of you need to get on your knees and you need to get things figured out between you and the Lord. Can I just add this to it? If you don't trust God, you're probably going to have a hard time trusting others. You could have someone in your life who's trustworthy, but you don't trust them. Because you're carrying baggage between you and the Lord. If you're going to be committed to God in the long term, you're going to have to get things reckoned between you and God. 
And you're going to have to learn that His ways are best. That He knows what He's doing. And that when a problem arises in our life and we're hurt, not to get angry at God and pin it on Him, but to run to His loving arms and trust that He knows what's best. If you're here today and you're in a spot where you don't trust God, can I encourage you to get in your Bible and read about people in the Old Testament who were born disadvantaged and how that God used them mightily? You ever stop and think about the life of Leah? Leah was born with a, a lazy eye. The Bible does everything but call her ugly. And she had a sister that was drop-dead gorgeous. Her dad had to trick Jacob into marrying her. In fact, Leah would have four boys and name those four boys' names that showed God that she didn't trust him. But before she died, she got it all figured out. Guess who Leah, she had a son and she named him Judah. And guess what? Jesus was born through the tribe of Judah. Jesus was born through the lineage of Leah. God knew what he was doing all along. God knew exactly what he was doing. God makes no mistakes. You're not going to be committed to the Lord until you learn to trust him. Principle of trusting God. Number two, a heart principle to love God. To love God. You're not going to be committed to a God that you don't love. Look down with me at Psalm 37, verse number four. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. I really, really wish I could be at the Memorial Day picnic tomorrow. I really do. I'm going to miss it. I want to be there, but I will be out of town. If I was at the Memorial Day picnic, you know what I would do? I would sit down and I would delight in a hamburger. And I would delight in watching some of you eat a hamburger. How many enjoy watermelon? Raise your hand if you enjoy watermelon. You know what? I like to watch my kids eat watermelon. Get a big old smile on their face. My son said he didn't like watermelon. And then last year he took a bite and he said, yeah, I guess I like it. And now he loves it. All right, is that fair to say? You love it, okay. Um, Do you delight in the Lord? Do you love the Lord? Um, If you were to miss Bible reading and prayer one day, would it just throw off your whole day? Would you feel like that you had missed time with your best friend? Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, the Bible commands us to love God, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. What does it mean to love the Lord with all your might? It means to love Him with everything within yourself. It is said that the young son of Bishop Berkeley once asked him the question, Papa, what do the words cherubim and seraphim mean? The bishop took him to tell the little, uh, took time to tell the little questioner that the cherubim was a Hebrew word meaning knowledge. Listen now, and the seraphim stood for flame. So cherubim means knowledge, and seraphim meant. Flame, explaining that it is commonly supposed that cherubims are angels that excel in knowledge and the seraphims are those who excel in love for God, a flame, love for God. Then I hope, the boy said, that when I die, I will be a seraphim. I'd, uh, I'd a lot rather love God than to know everything. I'd a lot rather love God than to know everything. Do you love God? Boy, some people read the Bible and it's nothing more than a textbook to be studied. And I'm going to know the ins and outs. And I'm going to study deep and deep and deep. And listen, I'm all for studying the Bible. I think you ought to get your doctrinal X's and O's and orders. I think you ought to know all that. But my friend, well before the Bible is a textbook, it is a love letter from heaven. And you are to read the Bible because God loves you and it's your way to love God back. Do you love the Lord? Do you love the Lord? Hudson Taylor was interviewing some young people who had volunteered for the Lord's service. Hudson Taylor, the famous missionary to China, he asked several practical questions to find out how qualified they were for the life they were anticipating. 
And one of the questions he asked was, why do you wish to, to, to go as a foreign missionary? The answers came back, I want to reach others across the sea because Christ has commanded us to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, one replied. And that answer signified duty. Another said, I want to go because millions are dying without ever having heard of Jesus, the only one who can save them. Others had similar answers. Now, what did that answer imply? Compassion toward the loss. Hudson Taylor looked at them thoughtfully for a moment. And then he would say to them, now listen to this closely, all of your motives are good, but I fear they will fail you in times of severe testing and tribulation, especially if you are confronted with the possibility of having to face death for your testimony. The only motive that will enable you to remain true is stated in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. Christ's love constraineth us, uh, will keep you faithfully in every situation. The only way you're going to stay faithful, the only way you're going to stay committed long-term to the cause of Christ is to understand how deeply He loves you and for you to make the choice to love Him back. You won't find a committed person who doesn't love what he's committed to. You won't find a committed person who isn't in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're going to be committed to Christ, you must deeply love Christ. If you are principled in loving God, then you will likewise be principled in hating the things that God hates. Charles Spurgeon once said, look to the cross and hate your sin, for your sin nailed your well-beloved there. If you love Jesus, then by default, you will hate sin. You won't just hate the consequences of your sin. You will hate sin because sin is the enemy that put Jesus on the cross. So to love God is to love what God loves and to hate what God hates. God hates sin. One person worded it this way, sinners leap into sin and love it. Christians lap into sin and loathe it. And Christians, we ought to be those that hate sin because we love God so much. If you're going to be a Christian who is committed to this long term, then you need to have a heart principled to trust God. You need to have a heart principled to love God. Number three, you need to have a heart principled to deny self. A heart principled to deny self. Look at Psalm 37. And look with me at verse number 16. Psalm 37 and verse 16. Please, please, please follow along in your Bible. The Bible says, A little that a righteous man hath is better than the riches of many wicked. Now what is going on in verse 16? The wicked indulge in pleasing self and make themselves rich as a result. And the, 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 the righteous man in this verse anyway is rejecting that which is wrong. He's rejecting that which would make him wealthy, but at the expense of selling his soul, and he's sticking with what's right, even if it means having less. Look down at verse number 21. 21. The wicked borroweth and payeth not again, but the righteous showeth mercy and giveth. What does the righteous man do? He's looking for the betterment of others, not the betterment of himself. The wicked man borrows and then avoids the creditors. He pockets the money. The righteous man, he's looking for the betterment of others. He denies himself for the betterment of others. Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 and 25 says, Then saith Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, listen here, let him deny himself. And take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. William Whitting Borden, the heir of the Borden Dairy Estate, received a trip around the world as a gift from his parents. So Borden, a Christian, traveled through Asia, the Middle East, and Europe and felt a growing burden for lost people. Finally, he wrote home and informed his parents that he was going to give his life in preparation for the mission field. They were devastated. They wanted him to take on the family business and pursue a life of great afflu of affluence and wealth. After making that decision, William Borden wrote two words 
in the back of his Bible, he wrote the words, no reserves, no reserves. Bill Borden would enroll in Yale University where he would lead the students in regular early morning prayer meetings and Bible studies. It was said that at night you would find Borden on the streets of New Haven ministering to the homeless or visiting, with, uh, visiting at a poor widow's home. During his time as a student at Yale, he would begin the Yale Hope Mission for the purpose of lodging and rehabilitating the broken of society. In 1909, Borden graduated from Yale and turned down many high-paying jobs in order to pursue a graduate degree in biblical studies from Princeton. Yale and Princeton no longer teach these things. In the back of his Bible, upon graduation from, upon graduation from Princeton, in the back of his Bible, he added two more words below no reserves. He wrote the words, no retreat, no retreat. And then he headed to Egypt where he would seek to study the Arabic language. His plans were to go on to China and reach the Muslims with the gospel of Jesus Christ. While in Egypt, he contracted spiral meningitis and he died at the age of 26. When his Bible was given back to his parents, they opened the back cover and found three two-word phrases. No reserves, no retreat, no regrets. No regrets. Bill Borden could have pursued a life of great wealth, affluence, could have justified it and said, I'll give to missions. He was called to the mission field. He denied himself. And at the age of 26 on his deathbed, he said, no regrets. No regrets. If I could give Bill Borden, a one word, one word to go on his tombstone, it would be the word committed. Committed. He had denied himself. Many of you in here will never be committed to Christ like you ought to be because you can't get yourself out of the way. You're too busy pursuing your dreams to care about God's dream for you. You see, if you're going to be committed to Christ, you're going to take a stand for Jesus. You need to live by the principle of trusting God. You need to live by the principle of loving God. You need to live by the heart principle of denying self. Number four, a heart principled to remain faithful. A heart principled to to remain faithful. Look at Psalm chapter 37. And look at verse number 5. Commit thy way. That term thy way refers to your life path. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Now, hold on here. Not just a portion of it. Not just segments of it. All of it. The Lord wants all of it. Whether you're 10 years old in here or you're 80 years old in here, whatever path of life you have left, the Lord wants all of it. He doesn't want uh, the path that you pursue on Sunday and then not the path that you have Monday through Saturday. No, He wants the path that you have all seven days of the week. He wants the path that you have at school, teenagers. He wants the path that you have at work, adults. He wants the path that you have at your leisure time, uh, everyone. He wants all of your path. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in Him. Verse 5 goes on to say, And He shall bring it to pass. What will He bring to pass? He will bring His will around in your life when you commit to being faithful to the calling of uh, God on your life. Look down at verse number 18. Verse number 18. The Bible says, The Lord knoweth the days 
of the upright, the days of the upright, and their inheritance shall be forever. The Lord knoweth the days. That means He knows every detail. This is the same idea of the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And we pursue the Lord's will. We walk His path. We are faithful. Look down at verse number 34, Psalm 37, 34. And here's a word that in our fast-paced society we struggle with. Can we read that first word of the verse together? Ready? Here we go. Ready? Wait. Let's say it again. Ready? Wait. How many don't like the word wait? Be honest. I worked at a Burger King when I was 18 years old for about nine months. One day they sent everyone home because uh, we were dead, and it was me and one other person. It was me and my brother and a manager working, and then the mall closed, and then we had like 30 cars in the drive through and we had to do everything. We, we locked the doors of the buildings because we couldn't work the, the lobby, and I remember, man, we were, I mean, we were, my brother was uh, uh, making the food. I was taking the orders. and The manager was back there trying to help him. And, and I remember that um, we were just like, they have a timer above the window that tells you how long each car's been there. And the goal is to get them out in three minutes or less. That timer read 12 minutes. How many of you ever had to wait 12 minutes to get your food at a drive through and I mean, we were really working as hard as we could. And I remember this lady sitting at the window waiting on her, you know, double Whopper with cheese at 10 o'clock at night and a Diet Coke. Amen. Um, <laughs> king size. Um, she, um, don't judge. Some of you do it too. Okay. Um, she, um. She was watching us. I mean, we were working as fast and hard as we could. and We're running and, and working. The car behind her, I mean, he got impatient, and he starts honking his horn, and, and he's making a big scene. And, and I mean, we're, we're just racing around there. And I remember this lady, she pulls up just enough where she could get her door open. And she, gets, she, she wiggles out of her car, and she walks toward that car, and she starts cussing this guy out. Do you know how hard they're working in there? Do you know they're doing the best they can? You need to settle down. I was never so happy to hear someone cuss in my life. Let them have it! <laughs> that man pulled up to the window. I think he had ordered like a pack of cookies or something, you know. You ever been, had that happen where you order one thing and the person in front of you ordered the whole store and uh, you're held up? And, uh, you know, we handed him his cookies. Oh, he drove off. And um, um, so, um, you know, this idea uh, of waiting, waiting. And we don't like to wait, right? We want what we want now. Your computer takes a minute to load and you're going to go drop $1,500 on a new computer because you don't want to wait. The Lord says, wait, the Bible says, wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. You know, I have learned that the Christian life is not realized in days or months or years. The Christian life is realized in decades. Decades. And God is calling Christians to be faithful for the long haul. You know, sometimes you plant the seeds of doing right today, and it isn't next month or even next year you see the reward of that. It can be decades later you begin to see the harvest come in because you've been committed and you've been faithful. Wait on the Lord and keep His way, and He shall exalt thee to inherit the land when the wicked are cut off, and thou shalt see it. I just want to ask you a question this morning. Are you faithful? Are you faithful? Week in and week out. I'm preaching to a Sunday morning audience here. Let me speak to you for a minute here. And I'm not meaning to reprimand anyone. I promise my heart is, is to help you this morning. Fifty years ago, it was one in five, a, a church member averaged missing a service one out of every five weeks. You know what the average is in the 2000 teens? One every three weeks. You know why? We've gotten less faithful. It used to be if you were a committed Christian, you showed up Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. Now it's pulling teeth to get people to show up once every couple weeks. Hey, listen, the darker the night, the brighter our light needs to be. I don't know about you. I need to be in church three times a week. 
I need to be. If I'm going to shine bright for the Lord, I need to be around the Bible. In fact, I got it so bad, I need to be at church six days a week. That's how often I'm here. You say, oh, well, you work here. Well, it's a good thing I do, or I don't tell them how wicked I would be. I need to be at church a lot. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Every Sunday morning, only Christians, least favorite verse in the Bible. Amen? Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as ye see the day approaching. The closer we get to the return of Christ, the more we're supposed to be in church. The more we're supposed to be in church. Hey, the world is trying to pull us from church. We're to be faithful to the cause of Christ. We're to be faithful to the name of Christ. We're to be faithful to the church of Christ. We're to do our part to be faithful. Faithful to church. Matthew 18 tells us we're to be faithful to forgive. Matthew 18, 21, Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? Hey, so someone has blown it with me seven times. Can I cut him off? And what did Jesus say? Jesus said, Then am I saying to thee, not until seven times, but until seventy times? Times seven. Some of you here have a, 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 a notebook or maybe a note app, and every time someone does you wrong, you're keeping count, right? And you get to 490, you say, oh, that's it. I fulfilled my biblical obligation. I don't have to forgive you anymore. That was the 491st time. We're done. Don't talk to me ever again. Is that what the Bible means there? No, it's not what the Bible means. I wonder in heaven if God has kept tally of how many times I've offended Him. If there's a person in the world that has every right to cut me off, hold a grudge against me, it's the Lord. Sometimes when I get on my knees and I pray, I tell the Lord I'm sorry for my sin. Sometimes I just ask Him, I don't know how you're able to keep forgiving me. Because I fail and I fail and I fail and I fail. Every single time He forgives. Every single time He picks me up and He dusts me off. He says, get back in there, son. I still love you. I haven't I haven't written you off. I still have a plan for you. Yeah, I know you're going to fail again today and I'll forgive you tomorrow. Let's, let's get back in there. People hurt us. We hold on to that grudge. They come and apologize. I'm not I never forgive Aren't you glad God doesn't treat me and you that way? You see, you cannot be committed if you're not faithful. Because if you're not faithful, then by default you're not committed. Statistically speaking, 12 months from, you, from now, there will be a handful of you that won't be in church anywhere. You know why? Because you didn't anchor your heart to the principle of faithfulness. How many of you here have ever been offended at church? Raise your hand if you've ever been offended at church. Any church. This church, another church. Wow. A bunch of you didn't raise your hand. Either you're not easily offended or you're not around much. I'm going to ask a question. I'm going to raise my hand to the question. It's a tough question. How many of you here have ever been so offended at church you contemplated quitting church? Aren't you glad you didn't? Aren't you glad you didn't? Listen, we push through these emotional moments because God is faithful to us. We're called to be faithful in our walk with the Lord. Let me give you one more principle this morning. Number five. 
a heart principled to stay surrendered. A heart principled to stay surrendered. Look at Psalm 37, verse 23. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And he, the good man, delighteth in his, the Lord's way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. For the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. From 2009 to 2013, I lived about 20 minutes away from Fort Meade military base. Fort Meade has a lot of 20-year guys. I say 20-year. Those in the military know what I mean by that. But men who, people who make a commitment to be in the military 20 years. A lot of guys who are career military end up at Fort Meade. We had a lot of those families in our church. A lot of those families ended up in my Sunday school class. And I got to know them very well. I think of Rick and Nicolette Friend and Paul and Kathy Walker and Rob and Joyce Gurley and many other families like them that we got to be very close to. But you know, the hard part about having a church near a military base is that sometimes orders come down for those families to pick up and move. People that you've gotten to be really good friends with are there one day, and the next day, they're gone. Usually they have a month or two notice, but sometimes, depending on the situation, they can get orders to move right away. You know what? Not one time, not one time did orders come down for a family to move. And they say, you know what? I'm not going. I'm just going to stay here. And that's what you call it going AWOL, right? You're not allowed to do that. If military people can stay surrendered to a broken military system, and I love our military. Tomorrow's Memorial Day. We're going to honor those that are fallen. But no man-made system is perfect. If military people can stay surrendered to superiors who often have bad motives of moving people around... Can I tell you something? Christians ought to be that much more committed to Christ when he orders us around. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. What's that mean? Where I go, who I'm with, what I do, where I live, where I work, how I behave, what habits I have, how, what I'm involved in, uh, how deeply I'm involved at church, how deeply I'm involved at work, how deeply I'm involved in my marriage or the lives of my children. All of those things I take to the Lord and I say, Lord, I'm trusting You, yes, but beyond that, I'm surrendered to You. Anything You tell me to do, anywhere You want me to go, anything You want me to give up, sign me up, I'm in. Now, all of us in here that have been saved long enough, at some point in your life, you've been surrendered to that call, I believe. Here's the trick. The trick is staying surrendered. A lifetime of staying surrendered. Are you called by the Lord? If you're saved, the answer is yes. But if you're all too busy pursuing your own will and way, then you're not going to have a malleable heart to the Lord. When I think of that thought, I think of the potter and the clay. How surrendered is the clay to the potter? There's a poem that goes like this. To the potter's house I went down one day and watched him while molding the vessels of clay. And many a wonderful lessons I drew as I noted the process the clay went through. Trampled and broken, downtrodden and rolled, to render more plastic and fit for the mold. How like the clay that is human, I thought, when in heavenly hands to perfection brought. For self must be cast as the dust at his feet before it is ready for service made meet. And pride must be broken and self-will lost, all laid on the altar, whatever the cost. But lo, by and by, a delicate vase of wonderful beauty and exquisite grace. Was it once the vile clay? Ah, yes. Yet how strange. The potter has wrought so marvelous a change. 
Not a trace of the earth, nor mark of the clay. The fires of the furnace have burned them away. Wonderful skill of the potter. The praise is his due, in whose hands to perfection and beauty it grew. Thus with souls lying still, content in God's hands, that do not his power of working withstand. They are molded and fitted, a treasure to hold. Vile clay now uh, transformed into purest of gold. Are you surrendered to the process of God taking you from a broken person and making you into something beautiful for His work and His kingdom? You're going to be committed. You have to stay surrendered. The question we must ask ourselves regularly is this, am I at this very moment surrendered to God and His will for my life? Boy, stand for Jesus. It sounds so valiant, so bold, so, so, so warrior-esque, so desirable. But standing for Jesus requires a backbone of conviction. It requires a heart of great courage. And it requires a life of commitment. Are you committed this morning? Are you putting these principles of commitment into place in your life? Do you trust God? If not, you need to get that thing fixed. Do you love God with all your heart? Are you denying yourself? Are you faithful? Come what may. And are you staying surrendered? Are you standing for Jesus? Are you committed to Christ? Are you living by these principles? Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. Every head bowed, every eye closed. How many here today would say, Pastor Lejeune, there was a moment in my life where I put my full faith and trust in Jesus to save me. I know that when I die, I'm going to heaven. Not because of who I am or what I've done, but because Jesus has saved me. If that's you, would you slip up your hand? I know I'm going to heaven. Amen. Many hands, you can put them down. How many here today would say, Pastor Lejeune, I do not know that if I were to die, where I would spend eternity. But I sure would like to know that. Now, my friend, if that's you here today, I have no intention of embarrassing you. But in the privacy of the moment, I would like to pray for you. So if you're here today and you do not know where you'll spend eternity, you're not certain of that, and you'd like for me to pray for you, with every other head bowed and eye closed, would you just raise your hand right where you are? Is there one that says, I don't know. I see that hand. I don't know. Is there anyone else? To the person that raised their hand, let me just encourage you to speak with the person sitting next to you after the service. Get that thing settled. He can help you know that when you die, you're going to heaven someday. And so you get that matter taken care of. Amen. How many here today would say, Pastor Lejeune, something in the message today spoke to my heart. God is working in my heart about these areas of being principled when it comes to commitment. Pastor, pray for me that I'll be more committed to the cause of Christ and to his church. If that's you, would you slip up your hand? There's some area in your life the Lord's working on. I hope that this morning you're the invitation. You'll find your way to the altar. You'll bend a knee. And you'll do business with the Lord. You'll get that thing settled. Let's leave here changed this morning. Lord, help us during this time of invitation to make decisions that matter, to make decisions that last. In Jesus' name.